Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. The Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Pulo starts now. Power in the cartoon world. A podcast, and I was told that if I did your podcast, that I would, you know, advance to the next level. And we're podcasting and photographizing in front of the great. The worst gigs of their life are, are because of Mark <laughs> Anyone want a husband? Free, free to a home. Now it doesn't even have to be a good home. Just free to a home. Ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant would like to do his impression. Oh, Willie Nelson. Suck yourself dry! Alright. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos, and it's good to be back. I am currently in Springfield, Illinois, doing some shows at Donnie B's Comedy Club, and, uh, it's a really nice club. Donnie B is a really cool guy, and and uh, driving around with him yesterday doing radio. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the, um, you know, the tenets of stand-up comedy right now, and and uh, what it looks like from the club owner's point of view, and and trying to make it work and trying to be successful and and it just kind of you know sparked my interest to uh do a podcast um about the comedy business at least from my point of view um because i'm i wouldn't say in a unique position right now but uh i've definitely got some insights on a few things that uh, may be helpful to newer comics and uh, older comics and whatnot, but uh, I've definitely moved into a different phase of my career, you know. Um, it's kind of sad, but when you first start out in comedy, people use you a lot, you know. They know that you're hungry, they know that you want to get experience, and they know that you need to get out there, and you need to perform, and you need to find your groove, so they take advantage of you. And I think it's the same kind of thing in music. You know, um, there's a story out in the news right now about Kesha and her dealing with Sony and her management team saying that the producer um, assaulted her and she doesn't feel comfortable being with him and she feels like she should be let out of her. I think it's something insane, like nine record deal with Sony and and the judge just ruled that she couldn't. So she's going to still have to make those nine albums for Sony, but they're like, well, you can you can pick whatever producer you want to work with. You don't have to work with the guy who attacked you or whatever. And uh, she was still pretty upset about that. But it's just like, it, it's what happens in the entertainment industry, and it's pretty sad that it does. Because um, basically the landscape of comedy... Uh, at least now, is, you know, you have, you have the comedy clubs and it's, it's kind of a rare thing nowadays to find a comedy club that still books itself, you know, that, you know, there's so many 
other facets that goes into trying to make a comedy club successful as far as like marketing and getting people in the door and hiring the people and doing the food and the drinks and everything like that a lot of the club owners will farm out the booking to a booking agency and basically all a booking agency is is a company whose sole purpose is to find comedians to go to these venues and these comedy clubs and it's just so interesting because back in the 80s you know people people don't realize like how much comedy there was in the 80s like it was ridiculous you know there was eight nine comedy clubs in chicago alone you know there was like six in Minneapolis and they were all like Tuesday through Saturday comedy clubs and some of them they were doing two shows on Wednesdays and two shows on like Thursdays and uh just so much to choose from so basically you would have these you know booking agencies that would have their territories it was almost like the beginning of wrestling you know it's like the the hansons had the midwest you know hafron had the south east you know funny business had kind of a big chunk in the middle um comedy productions had their chunk of territory and and uh you know, they would all be going at each other all the time, just trying to protect their empires. Because back then, if you chose a side, like if you decided I was going to be a Tom Hansen guy, or I was going to be a Heffron guy, or I was going to be a funny business guy, like your your year was set. Like you had enough gigs to support your family and to make the money for the year and and that's what it is you know it was there was just so many places that wanted comedy that the booking companies became the commodity you know if if a venue could get signed on with a booking company and have the access to the comedians on the coasts um the better comedians because you know you have to think back then this is a time without internet this is a time without cell phones this is a time without facebook pages this is a time where you had to almost 100 percent rely on this company to send you comedians and not only send you comedians but have the uh the you know the the trust in them that they're going to send you good comedians. And there was such an abundance of comedians, and it was so fresh, and it was so new. Like, nobody really knew the difference between a bad comedian or a good comedian. You know, if you were a comedian, and you got on stage, and you told jokes, and you had your rolled-up sleeves, and your, you know, your, your jokes about airplane food and whatever it's just like people would eat it up with a spoon because it was new it was fresh you know we're in like two, uh, 2016 now like we've come into a different thing like you know we've got 
YouTube, we've got rooftop comedy, we've got, you know, comedies on like every station. It's on NBC, it's on Comedy Central, it's on these smaller networks. So people have almost become connoisseurs of what they enjoy uh, as far as comedy goes. They've seen so much of it now that they know exactly the kind of comedian that they want to go see. So the the marketing for the comedy clubs has become so specific. Like the only comedians that really draw nowadays, and by draw I mean you put their name up and it sells tickets. The only people that do that nowadays are ones that have a very secure spot on uh, media. Like someone who's on a reality television show, who was on a panel show on Comedy Central or a network. Like these are the guys and girls that draw people into the club. Like comics that have a Chelsea Handler or a uh, girl code or a guy code, um, something trendy like that. They're, They're filling comedy clubs all over the place. And what's happening is a lot of people that have a small, you know, a small avenue of fame, someone like a Steve-O or uh, ex-wrestlers or these type of people, they're going into the comedy clubs because they know that when their name goes up on the marquee, it's going to sell tickets and they're going to make money. So we've definitely crept into a different um, time in comedy. And the problem is that a lot of these booking agencies that still exist now, they don't get it. They're still in the past. They're still ruling with an iron fist and they're protecting their territories. Instead of branching out and working with other people and trying to coordinate and cooperate with other people to make so everybody can make money you know they're just being dicks pretty much and it's hard as a comedian nowadays because because it's different now you can't choose you can't choose a booking agency and be taken care of for the rest of the year if you decide you're going to be a heffron guy um that doesn't mean you're going to get 52 weeks of work and you're going to be secure for your entire year. You're still going to have to go out and work for the funny bones and you're still going to have to go work for funny business and comedy productions and, um, you know, David Tribble and you're going to have to go work for, uh, Pat Wilson and you're going to have to go work for hysterical management. You're going to have to go work a multitude of booking agencies and companies and comedy clubs to fill your year. And it's tough because if you think about it that way, like every year when the clock turns January 1st, our calendar is wiped and we have to start from scratch. We have to start booking our stuff over and over again. And, you know, sometimes it is a bit easier, uh, than it was the year before because you start uh, you know making these relationships with thing with with companies 
to the point where you kind of prove yourself every year. So you really only have to send that one email or that one phone call and you'll get that work again. But that's maybe like, you know, four weeks out of the year, six weeks out of the year, and you're still hustling every year. And the, and the hardest part is that every year more comedy clubs are closing than they are opening. It's just the truth. You know, people think that we're in a comedy boom and it kind of is not because of the amount of work for us. The comedy boom is just in reference to that. It's just more in people's, you know, peripherals, you know, it's like last comic standing America's got talent. Like, stand-up comedy and comedians in general are just you know more visible now they're on a lot of different shows they're they're brought in as consultants on a lot of things and it's just more visible now it doesn't mean there's more work for us so the problem is that that things are closing faster than they're opening and booking agencies are losing their grip on a lot of other things so a lot of the booking agencies will have these things where if you work one of their gigs then you can't work another gig that's within a certain amount of miles of that gig and some of them are pretty ridiculous it's like a hundred mile radius which i mean let's get real you know literally i have done a gig in like Hinkley, Minnesota, which is like 90 miles north of the city. And two days later, I've done a gig in Bloomington, Minnesota, which is 90 miles from there. And it's a completely different audience. Nobody even knows that I was in Hinkley the night before. And I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, like people are lazy nowadays. They're not going to drive more than like, I mean, I think 30 miles is kind of the the threshold where people will drive to go see something, you know? And it's just so frustrating because it's like, we try to fill our year. We try to make our money. We try to support our family. And then we have to deal with all this other bullshit from these comedy clubs or not comedy clubs, but the comedy bookers where it's like, you're trying to book shit. And then you get this email and they all do it, you know, more so than others, where they're like, hey, I see you're going to be working this gig. That's within 100 miles of our other gig. So if you do that gig, uh, we're going to fire you and take away all the work that we're booking for you. And it's just frustrating, you know. So the reason that I'm in a unique position right now, and I don't know if it's a good position or a bad position, but it's definitely a unique position, um, for 15 years, I had been working for a company called Funny Business, and, you know, they they like to think that they're the number one booking agency in America, and I don't know how anybody ranks this stuff. Maybe they are. I feel like Heffron Talent uh, might be the number one agency. And the problem with Funny Business is they're pretty much the only company that really adheres to the threatening where it's always a threat you know it's like you're going to do this gig it's close to our gig and then it's just immediate threats you know and i just feel like other companies do it better you know like they they have reasonable rules like 
you know, if you do our gig in this city, we just ask that you, you know, wait a, a certain amount of time before you do the other gig in town, which makes sense, you know. And I think my biggest problem with it is, like, let's say I was working like Moorhead, Minnesota, and I was doing a gig for the one company, and then six months later I go and I do the other company, and the first company gets a hair up their ass, and they're like, you know, you've ruined our business up there because you've gone and done the other club, which I don't know how that would even make any sense. But then they cancel everything where it's like, wouldn't you just like cancel that city? Be like, well, you've kind of messed it up for yourself in that city. So we'll never be able to book you in that city again, which would make more sense because now what's happened so basically the story goes, and uh, I haven't really talked about it that much because I just think it's uh, just a stupid, stupid thing. So Funny Business has a room in uh, Duluth, Minnesota. It's called Dublin's Pub, and uh, it's a nice place. The people are nice there. Um, I had kind of an incident the last time that I was there. My wife and my father-in-law wanted to come see the show. And usually anywhere you go, they're they're pretty cool about letting a couple family and friends in for free. And the guy made it seem like he was going to let them in to see the show. And then when he handed me my check at the end of the week, uh, he said, you know, here's your check. And I took the liberty of taking those... Uh, those two tickets out of your check for your wife and your father-in-law. So he took $25 of my money um, because my wife and my father-in-law wanted to see the show. And I know a lot of people out there are like, well, he's running a business. He has to, you know, charge for the tickets or whatever. But his reasoning was that the the room was going to be sold out so i couldn't give you free tickets so i had to charge you and in reality it's just he wanted that 25 dollars. he didn't want two people sitting in his comedy room for free even if they were my wife and my father-in-law and kind of after that our relationship kind of deteriorated a little bit because i found that really disrespectful and he didn't seem to have a problem with it at all and the whole thing of making it seem like everything was fine and then just kind of taking my money at the end and not really saying anything about it, um, I thought was horrible. And, you know, you can fuck with me a lot on the on the road or at a club, but you start fucking with my money, that's, that's when we're going to have some problems. And so, you know, I, uh, I did the Comedy 10K back in 2013 I think it was or 14 and almost won it um 2013 I apologize I almost won it and then uh I got signed by management after that um and my manager and funny business have had a huge rivalry and so it was like after I got picked up by my manager and they found out about it, like they weren't returning any of my emails. Um, 
they would offer me like some of the crappiest gigs that they had you know they had these one-nighters that were like 200 bucks with no hotel it was kind of disrespectful you know after 15 years of being a comic and proving myself and and uh, there was a lot of lot of instances over those 15 years where I chose funny business over the better choice for my career and my family just because of loyalty and a lot of those choices that I made ruined a lot of opportunities that I had over the years and you know I think it just got to a point where I just had to start thinking about my family and not thinking about loyalty and and uh you know, trying to stay in good favor with a company who obviously has no interest in seeing my, uh, you know, seeing me better or, or making me more money or any of that things. And that's, that's what I think the whole key to the comedy business now is as fast as you can, you have to become the commodity. Because as much as booking agencies want to believe that they're the commodity nowadays, it's just not true. You've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got Instagram, you've got YouTube, you've got so many things for a comedian to make his splash in the world. And the whole point of this business is to make comedy clubs and these one-nighters money. So they will continue to have comedy shows and they'll still be live comedy shows that exist in the country. And you don't go about that by sending the lowest common denominator. And that's my biggest problem with, with funny business is they're one of the biggest companies out there. And if they really had any kind of uh, respect or loyalty for the comedians that they book out there in the world, um, they wouldn't skim as much money as they do off the top. Because this is the whole thing. Because that's why uh, I used to work for a company called Charter Talent, and I parted ways with them like three years ago because of all the scandalous things that were coming out that they were doing, you know, they were, you know, I don't know if I should even get into this, but I suppose it's already been on the news and everything, but basically what charter talent would do is they had this hidden website where, um, like if a company contacted them or a venue and they were like, we want some comedy they would send them to this hidden website and it literally listed like every comedian that exists on the road right now. And then they would pick like a comedian that they wanted to come. Even if this, this charter talent didn't represent them, they would say, Oh yeah, for sure. We'll send that comedian to you. Um, he costs $2,000 or whatever. And then they would ask for like 50% upfront and then a few weeks before the show, they would say something like, oh, well, this guy, he has a family emergency or whatever. And then they would send a different guy for $200. And then they would keep all that money. And I didn't really believe that it existed until I got booked on a gig in Missouri. 
and I got booked on it like four months beforehand. And when I got to the gig, all the posters were of some other guy. And I was like, what is this? And the lady said, oh, we were, we were so sorry to hear that Jason had a family emergency and couldn't make it. We're so glad that you were close and available. And I was like, I knew it was all a lie. But I also needed to get that check so I could provide for my family. So they basically forced me to lie to these people knowing that I was booked for the gig like four months ago and knowing the scam that they pulled and I didn't I didn't want to be a part of it anymore so I parted ways so one of the other bigger straws for me with funny business was over this uh, comedy club in Moorhead Minnesota so there's a comedy club in Moorhead Minnesota called Courtney's Comedy Club it's a really nice place um, it used to be booked by uh, Comedy Productions. And basically, um, the feature act would get paid $500, and the headliner would get paid $1,000. And it was for five shows on the weekend, which was probably one of the better paying like weekend gigs close to Minneapolis that were out there. So it was very sought after to... Uh, to get to do it and the the hotel did like limited runs of comedy they'd only run it from labor day to memorial day and then they wouldn't have comedy in the summer because of weddings or something like that so after a while uh funny business started booking it and as soon as funny business picked up this room what happens the money went down so now the feature act gets paid three hundred dollars and the headliner gets paid $600. And I was like, well, maybe that's why they moved over to Funny Business because the hotel wasn't making money, so they wanted to pay a little bit less so Funny Business could cut them a better deal or something like that. That was until Funny Business got fired, and now uh, this Roger Paul guy out of New York is booking the comedy club. And surprise, surprise... Features get $500, headliners get $1,000. And why is that significant? Because no, no place on earth, when they negotiate to pay less money, is ever going to decide to pay more money again. So you see what happened there is the one company, $500 and 1000 Funny business, 300 600 Roger Paul, 500 and 1,000. I don't know if this is true. This is all hearsay, but that to me seems like funny business was just taking more money. And that's the biggest thing is like, that's the, the, the line that you tow when you work with these booking agencies and booking companies. And, you know, they're all... Uh, you know, guilty of this. You know, I don't know if Heffron Talent does this anymore, but when I first started working for them, what they would do is they would book you on a gig. Because this is how it kind of works. Like, I, I got away from this. So what a booking agency does is it opens up a venue, or it doesn't open up the venue, but it gets hired to book the venue. So let's say... You know, there's a certain amount of money that they contract with the company. So 
the feature act gets some money, the headliner gets some money, and then the booking agency gets some money for doing their job of sending the comedians there. And it's usually a pretty normal split. Like uh, for a one-nighter, the feature would get 100 bucks, the headliner would get 200 bucks, and then they would send 100 bucks to the booking agency for sending those comedians. Pretty standard deal. So with a lot of these shadier companies, what they would do is they would sell, uh, especially with charter talent, like I saw a few of the checks where they sent me on a corporate gig and they would sell the show for like $1,500. I'd get paid $200 and then the agency would keep $1,300, which is just like, you know, bullshit and thievery and that's why i don't work for him anymore so every company kind of has that little like moral flexibility where you know maybe funny business takes a little bit more than other companies uh what heffron talent used to do and like i said i don't know if they do it anymore is they would take their booking fee from sending the comedians there and then they would force the comics to also send them 10% of the money that they made because when you got booked through Heffron Talent, you were not only um, being booked by a booking agency. When you did that gig, Heffron Talent was acting as your comedy manager, which entitled them to an extra 10% of your money, which blew me away because that seemed like double dipping for sure, but I'm not you know, a lawyer by any means. So I had that, that gig come up in Superior, Wisconsin for funny business, which was close to Duluth. And I mean, I'm not an idiot. I knew exactly what was going to happen when I took that gig. Um, I mean, I had a small glimmer of hope that maybe they wouldn't uh, completely fire me that maybe they wouldn't uh, want me to do Duluth anymore, which I was fine with because I couldn't stand that guy anyways. But, you know, the, the hammer came down. You know, they they uh, pulled the work that they had with me and, and said that they were never going to book me again, which is fine, you know, whatever. Um, I feel like I've gotten to a point now where I've made myself the commodity because it's like, three of the comedy clubs that this booking agency books um, have said that they're going to bring me in outside of the company because they really enjoyed what I did and they could care less if I was on the outs with the booking company over some small town hundreds of miles from their club. They want me um, to come and do their club, which is the whole point of this, you know? And the, the whole thing that I don't think funny business gets at this point is um, we're just trying to support our families, you know. And the email that they sent me is so self-righteous and, like, they uh, they say so much stuff about how they, like, gave me a break in the beginning and, and how they let a lot of things slide and... And there were so many times they could have fired me and they didn't because they respected my talent and everything like that. And it's just like, if you respect a comedian's talent, you know, uh, 
pay him what he's worth, you know, and don't fuck with his business. Cause that's the thing. It's like, <sighs> that's the biggest problem is they will say, if you do that gig, we're not going to book you anymore and you'll never work for us again. And the problem is when the comedian makes the decision, okay, I won't work that gig because I don't want to never work for funny business again. They don't in turn, once you make that decision, like I'm loyal, I'm not going to do that gig. I'm going to stay with you guys. I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be a funny business guy. You would think at that point they would in turn book you on everything that they book. Not as like a reward, but that's the thing. Like, I'm a funny business guy, so book me on your stuff. And they won't. You know, they give you a few of the things. They don't give you everything. And it's like, how is anybody supposed to support themselves as a comedian if... I decide to be with funny business, which means that I can't work um, some gigs for Jeff Johnson or Tom Hansen or Heffron Talent or Turner Talent or Hysterical Management. Like They have a lot of gigs that are close to other people's gigs. And a lot of times those other bookers are like, if you're a funny business guy, we don't want to work you. So it's like you've made the decision to be a funny business guy and they refuse to book you on all the things. So it's like they're saying you can't work for anybody else and we're still not going to book you. So what the fuck is that? It's like Gestapo tactics. And frankly, up until like, you know, two or three weeks ago, um, I... I could have done without him for a long time, but it's it's kind of a scary idea to burn a bridge with, with a booking company that, that kind of has a lot of stuff available. But it's just like, I went back for the last three years and I added up all the work that Funny Business has given me and the work that other people have given me. And it literally accounted for something like 7.5% of my yearly income was Funny Business. And... I just made the decision after 15 years of uh, being treated like shit to tell him to go fuck off, you know? And it's like, I think they're just behind the times, you know? The whole fucking point of this now is to help one-nighters and comedy clubs and theaters make money. So they can keep their doors open, so they can continue to bring comedians, so we can continue to make a living as a comedian, and they just get so caught up in the whole territory and who's got the biggest dick shit, instead of working together with other agencies. Because that's the thing, is like the guy that books the room in Superior, which is like 15 minutes from the room in Duluth... His room was a Friday, their room was a Saturday, and he goes, I don't know how many times I've talked to him about coordinating with them so that the guys they're bringing in on Saturday, I can use them on Friday. Now they're making more money, 
Uh, it's a bigger weekend. You can bring it, bring in bigger names from farther away because it's more money and it makes more sense. And they wouldn't do it, you know, because they're so focused on their own thing. You know, it's like, and I, and I'm not gonna lie. I'm sure it has a lot to do with, you know, the room in Duluth not wanting anything else relatively in their area because that's going to hurt their business but i mean the truth is like a club that's in downtown duluth and a club that's in a pizzeria 15 minutes away in superior you're going to draw completely different crowds like i said 30 minutes i think is the max for anybody to drive to see any kind of entertainment like if i'm if i'm living in downtown duluth and I see a comic that's going to be performing in Superior, and they're kind of the same as all the other comics that come to Dublin's Pub. Like, why would I, why would I go over there? Like, I would just go to Dublin's Pub and see the comic there. You know, it's just sometimes it doesn't make any sense why why there would be an argument over the crossover. You know, and especially the feature acts that makes no sense to me. Like a comedy show is usually MC feature headliner, and the feature acts are doing like twenty-five or thirty minutes. Nobody knows who they are, so the fact that they even hassle feature acts for doing gigs that are close to each other or near each other baffles my mind. Like I understand the headliners because they're the draw, they're the picture on the thing, they're the guys that are selling the tickets. So, you know, somebody that wants to go see comedy uh, at the one place and they're like well this guy was just at the other place like five blocks away why would we go see him over here we just saw him over there like i get that but it's like mc's feature acts why are you hassling these guys like they're barely making a living and now you're hassling them about working other gigs because they can they know they're hungry they know they're new so they're just giving them a bunch of shit because they know they can, you know? It's like there's no better feeling in the world as a comedian when you know that you're writing your own checks. And I may not be writing my own checks at this point, but I've cultivated enough relationships over the last 15 years that if I lose one booking company, I'm not out of comedy, you know? It's like I got a lot of other phone calls I can make. And the fact that some booking agencies actually believe that uh, firing a comedian and never booking them again is going to somehow completely ruin their career is just uh, stupid and naive, you know. I just wish there was a sense of camaraderie between the booking agencies and the comedians and the comedy clubs for us all to make money, you know, but there's always that small piece that's always going to be vindictive and, and greed always comes in it, you know, driving around with Donnie B um, and listening to his hardships about trying to keep comedy alive in Springfield just makes me realize, like, it has nothing to do with the booking agency anymore you know they're always going to somehow weasel their money out of something but it's a it's it's about guys like donnie b you know he loves comedy he loves being a part of it he loves his city 
he loves to see it here you know he's almost gone bankrupt like three or four times trying to keep this thing cooking in springfield and he's got a new amazing venue um the crowds last night were just so nice and so attentive and excited for comedy and that's the kind of stuff that you want to see you know you want to see you want to see that stuff and that's the whole point is you want comedy clubs to make money you want the comedians to make money and you could care less about the booking agencies <laughs> no i'm just kidding they gotta make their money too but uh anyways i've rambled long enough and hopefully this has been interesting for you but uh um anyways on to bigger and better things i've got a lot of stuff cooking on the horizon. I'm going to be opening for Michael Cabanero for about six or seven theater dates. Um, maybe a couple things with the Impractical Jokers coming up. And uh, just living life. Going to try to do the family thing for a little bit. You know, be home a little bit more and enjoy uh, watching my daughters grow up. And and that's the whole point, man. It's family. It's life. It's enjoying life and trying not to let this stuff weigh you down. But if you're a new comedian out there and you listen to my podcast, just remember, as fast as you can, become the commodity yourself. Write your own checks. Make your own relationships. Work for as many companies as you can. Branch out. Go as many places as you can so that when it comes down to it and one agency tries to twist your arm or tries to strong arm you, you can turn around and tell them to go fuck themselves. And that's the whole point. So. Check out largedrunkman.com for my upcoming tour dates. And uh, this podcast is always available at iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever podcasts are. And I appreciate you listening, and tune in next time when we talk about who knows. the country say that they've been burned by a comedy agency located somewhere here in Michigan. Fake names, vague addresses. The comics couldn't find the guy behind the bad bookings. Problem solver Rob Wolchek found him, and now it's time for Rob to take the stage. Here's Rob. Thank you. Thank you. I just flew in from Macomb County. I got to tell you, my arms are killing me. But seriously, folks, these comics say this guy is pulling a bait and switch bait and switch sounds like a couple of the guys Luderman goes fishing with roll that tape say hi to chuckle boy chuckle boy is a hilarious comedian <laughs> i am a comedian chuckle boy's also a booking agent and i have a booking agency but right now chuckle boy's secret antics are getting him booed and heckled by, of all people, other comedians. It's dirty what he's doing. It's messing with who we are and our reputations, and that's all we really have. Because what they say Chuckle Boy is doing sure ain't funny, using their comedy videos on his websites to make money by booking them into shows and replacing them with other comics. And now they're making me look like I'm canceling a gig, but I never even found out I ever got booked. Hit the road, Jack. Being a road comic is rough. Comedians like the Fryman, the disgruntled clown, Billy Ray Bauer, Stefano, and Washboard Floyd spend months at a time on the road, in motels, playing clubs and bars, and 
bar mitzvahs all over the country. How hard is it being a comedian? It's the worst thing you can ever do. <laughs> it's addictive, though. So addictive, many of them do one-night stands on the road between their bigger gigs. And many of those gigs are booked by Charter Talent, Laughs Express, Blackstone Talent, and The Comedian Agency. Companies run by a mysterious guy named... Jason Cooper. Chuck Walslick. Bill Green. Comic Stefano says all these supposed agents from these different companies sounded the same to him. It was the same man, just using a different uh, name. Here's how it works. You're looking for a comedian for your comedy night or your big party, and your Google search leads you to one of Chuckle Boy's many websites. Click on the Watch Comedian Videos tab, and there are more than 100 of this agency's supposed comics you can choose from. On their website, they have videos of the comedians. So a client can go to their website and watch videos, but they clip the front of the video and the back of the video so you can't see the comic's name. I was comedian 12. I don't remember my number, but I was on his page, which I never even knew about. Stefano says a hotel bar in northern Michigan apparently liked his clip the best. I was handpicked to do their New Year's Eve party for $2,500. And I wasn't picked. My video was picked, if that makes sense. And then, right before the event, the comedy booker called the client with bad news. Oh, I'm so sorry. Stefano's uh, uh, father passed away. But the good news was that talent agency had another comic that could make the gig. At this point, they couldn't cancel, so that new comic did the show. The show Stefano never even knew existed. But the hotel still wanted Stefano for their St. Patrick's Day party. $2,000, they sold me again. March 16th, the club manager gets a call. Stefano had an accident. He's off the road right now. But luckily, the agency had another fill-in comic ready again. A month later, the bar manager contacted Stefano directly via email, offering her condolences. I'm so terribly sorry to hear about your father passing and your, your bad string of luck. I email her back immediately. Uh, who the heck are you? Remember, Stefano was never told he was booked on these gigs. He didn't even know he was on their website. I busted him three times doing that to me. It's happened to other comedians, too. The hook is my video. That video that they view on the website gets the client to hook and purchase that guy in the video. They lie about that guy's name, do a contract. The week of the show, they cancel the contract. They send in a $200 guy. They keep all the money. I am the comedian known as the disgruntled clown. Disgruntled clown caught these guys red-handed. While I'm actually driving to the place, he, had told, he calls me and says, oh, your gig is canceled. And I'm like, what? Bill Green or Chuck Wozlick, the guy from the comedy agency, said the place had decided at the last minute not to go with a comedian. Bummer. But I had already gotten a hotel room in that town. Okay. The same hotel where the gig's going. So I stopped. Pull right into the parking lot with the clown mobile. And he sees his face on the marquee. The comedy night is still on. He's got another comic there but my stuff's there that I'm coming. The clown says the agency used him as the bait and then switched the comic. He spoke to the club manager. Hey, how you doing? I'm the clown. And they go, oh, well, I heard you, you I heard you had an accident. An accident? I go, well, 
I don't know. I'm doing okay right now. Then there are the comics like Billy Ray Bauer. They're the ones replacing the chosen comic who got in an accident or whose father died. God, I'm so happy that you were able to cover this for us at the last minute. And, and in each case, I've said to the owner, I go, I took, I was booked to do this months ago. And when the comics called the agency to complain, they say Chuckle Boy delivered a nasty punchline. He goes, what are you going to do, beat me up? Click. He said, what can you do about it? Oh, it still rings through my ear. It just makes it, it just tees me off every time. Remember, the comics didn't know anything about this booker. None had his real name, his office address, a P.O. box. But I found him. Real name, Jason Fry. Lives in a house here in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. You've heard of a running joke? Here comes a running joker back from a morning jog. I'm going in the house, but if you want to talk to me, I'll set up an interview with you. No, I'd like I... to try to talk you down. I guess Jason's not ready for a heckler. He wants to get his act together. I'd be more than happy to answer any questions. I know it's fun to catch the guy when he's running and coming back from a jog. You want to know fun, Jason? You're the comedian. Fake names. Chuck Wozniak or Wozlick and I Bill have Green. agents that work for me. These aren't real guys. There's no guy named Chuck Wozlick. Well, I have always been Chuck Wozlick. Everybody knows that. Nobody knew that. In fact, all the comics I spoke to knew you only by your fake names. No one knew your real name. Jason Fry. Well, why because do you use fake names? I didn't want to uh, be the comedian and the booking agent because I don't want to be both. Gonna... Because it's unethical, isn't it's it? It's not unethical. Right, so that's you. That's right, me. Right, so use yeah. that name. This is you also. Oh, yeah, I have a marketing team that I pay to uh, come up with websites. It's all about marketing. Everybody knows that. If anybody has complaints, you send them my way. I want 100% happy customers. But who are they going to talk to? Are they going to talk to you? Are they going to talk to Jason Fry? Are you could have definitely to... called the office. Anytime you want to talk to me, call the office. I know it's fun to sneak up on a guy but who's going to answer the phone? I'm going to answer the phone most times. You're going to answer the phone? Yes. So, and who are you going to be? Day, who are you going to be, Jason? Well, what do you know? The comedian videos have disappeared from Jason Fry's websites, although he and his attorney claim pretty much everything in this story is wrong. His Facebook and YouTube pages have been deleted. Jason claims he has other agents working for him. He questions the credibility of some of the comics in the story, and I guess he questions my credibility, too, because even though he says he used to be my fan, he won't do the promised interview or even talk with me to set the record straight. Monica? Well, I gotta believe that you talked to quite a few comics here, but I gotta believe there's probably others out there. Well, actually, some of the comics that I talked to in this story were in St. Louis, they were in North Dakota, and I spoke to comics from all around the country. All they knew it was somebody in the Metro Detroit area. So I kind of had to figure out where this guy was and really who this guy was to get him. And now we know. And now we know.